Welcome to the Multi-Purpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. Here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. Becoming a 5013C nonprofit organization, should your PTA or PTO do it? This is a commonly asked question in PTO and PTA forums. Most common among PTOs, since the national and state PTA structure helps you with both incorporation and becoming a tax-exempt organization, but it is an important topic for both PTOs and PTAs. This episode is going to talk about some of the pros and cons, as well as what you should think about and look out for if you decide to go down this path. So before we get started, I want to clarify a few things. First, I'm not a tax advisor. I created this episode by researching the topic, using IRS guidance, resources from the national PTA and PTO, as well as experience of leaders like myself and yourself who share their experiences on Facebook groups. Where there were discrepancies in the experiences, I went to the laws and reviewed them. I am an attorney, so I did review the laws. But again, I I don't provide tax advice. So if there's ever a tricky issue with your PTO or PTA, I always do recommend getting an expert involved because there are a lot of nuances in this topic. The second thing that I wanted to clarify is that there are a number of interrelated topics here. We are talking about state and federal filings and statuses, as well as incorporation and tax exemption. These are different things. So incorporation is a state-level incorporation, also known as being incorporated as a nonprofit. That's all about becoming a legally recognized entity in your state. This is different than being a 5013C entity, which is a federal tax exemption. And then there is one more step. There may also be a state tax exemption that you need to apply for. It may or may not be called a 5013C. In fact, it's likely not because that refers to the federal statute that provides an exemption for a specific type of charitable entity. Note that you can go forward here in a number of different ways. You can incorporate and never get the 501 classification. Similarly, you can get the classification and not incorporate. Now, this latter example is not recommended because it can be more expensive down the road. So our recommendations are actually either to do neither. So don't incorporate, don't file for your tax status, or to do both. So let's talk about the pros and cons of those two options. The first option is to not incorporate, not get your tax-exempt status. This is basically to act as a direct extension of your school. You rely on your school's status to operate. In this instance, you are essentially treated as a program of the school and use their legal incorporation, their legal tax status to act. Note that your school may or may not be a 5013C organization. The reason this matters is because donations to 5013C organizations are tax-exempt for the donor, 
And so it is a benefit. Your school may have that status or may not. It depends on the state and you should check in with your school. Now, the benefits of just acting as a direct extension of your school are that it's much simpler. You and the school are completely unified. You don't have to file any paperwork. And so it's pretty simple. Now, the downside is that your organization is entirely directed by the school. Your mission is the same as the school's and that the school is liable for all of your organization's actions. It can also impact the school's ability to get certain grants if they are doing direct fundraising and fundraising through this program would be considered direct fundraising. There may also be state or district prohibitions on school fundraising, either in the amount or that it can fundraise at all. And so this really may impact your ability to act. Finally, if your school is not a 5013C, it may impact your ability to get donations from businesses or individuals who may be looking for that tax benefit. Now, I just want to play out an example here because people may not be familiar with how this may play out. Let's say it makes a lot of sense for you to be a program under your school. The principal is very supportive. Your missions are 100% aligned. Things are going well. Think three years into the future where let's say that your PTO, who's a program of your school, is funding an after-school program. A new principal comes in, decides they don't like the subject matter of that program, and decides to cut that program. You hear from the parents about how much that program meant to the children, and you believe that as the PTO, it's your duty to represent the community. You don't have much you can do in that situation because you are under the control of the school. Similarly, if you as the PTO organization are going out and saying things to solicit donations, those are things that are viewed as said by the school directly. So in the event you're making any promise about how the funds will be used and they aren't used in that way, not a malicious act, but just later decisions meant the funds were used differently, the school can be liable for any mix-up there. So there are some downsides to becoming just a program under the school. There are also some positives. Again, it's much simpler and your missions are unified. So the second option that we recommend is to incorporate and get your 5013C status. Now, this starts by getting an EIN, which is a federal identification number, then filing for incorporation in your state, then filing for federal 30, <laughs> then filing for federal status. You may also have to file for tax exemption in your state, but that's something you should check with states. Now, the benefit of this approach is independence in your mission. So your mission may be similar to the school's, but it may also be slightly different. It may be advocating for the children within your school, whereas your school's mission is really more about the district as a whole. So if you have this individual entity status, you are able to really advocate for that smaller community of your school well, the school administration and the district looks at the larger community as a whole. 
Incorporation also helps to shield personal liability for actions of the directors or board members. Google your state laws, but if something happens, the the individual entity's incorporation can really protect the school as well as your board members. Finally, the benefit that I mentioned earlier, which is if you are a 501c3, donations to your organization can be tax-exempt for the donor, which is really beneficial. Businesses that are looking to increase their charitable contributions are more likely to contribute because they're able to say they are contributing to a charitable institution. Your school may or may not have that status. So how do you decide between these two options? Start with your mission. I mean, before you even decide whether to be under the umbrella of the school or not, I think sit down with the group and take a look at either an existing mission you have drawn up or if you're forming a new entity, write down your mission. Why do you exist? Why did you even become a PTO or a PTA on your school campus? That mission will really drive what you do next. If your mission is exactly the same as a school's mission, well, it might make sense to just be a program under the school. If it's slightly different, if it includes advocacy in a way that the school does not, if it includes a different set of students than the school may cover, then you may want to be a separate entity. Second, I would look at the size of your organization. A larger organization will have more access to volunteers, will want to be more independent likely, whereas a smaller organization in a smaller school may work perfectly well as a program under the school. Finally, do consider the additional work that it takes to incorporate and act as a tax-exempt entity. There's not only the startup work, but there is the work throughout the year. Uh, It is some bookkeeping work, and we'll talk about it shortly, but that is a consideration and understanding how involved your parents are and will you be able to find somebody to cover that work both in the coming year and beyond. So if you decide to go with option one, being a program under your school, You work with your principal and your office manager on the logistics of forming a program on campus. Look at whether the school is a tax-exempt entity. Federally, that's a 5013C in the state that may be called something different. And see whether it can provide receipts to businesses and individuals who are donating. And then I would also recommend creating at least a light set of bylaws or rules of conduct that specify your mission, the board positions that you do want to exist. They may be very light. It may just be two, three people. And then a voting structure for how decisions are made so that at least you have some rules governing how you operate as a club or a program on the school campus. If you decide to go down the second path, here's a bit of an overview of what you need to think about. First, if you're becoming a PTA, that's fantastic. You get a lot of help from state and national PTA resources. Leverage that help. First, go to the state and go down that path. The difference between PTA and PTO, we've talked about uh, on our blog, and there's a lot of information out there. But essentially, a PTA is under the umbrella of national and state-level PTAs. Advocacy is a big part of the mission. There is a dues structure, but you get a lot of resources in return. A PTO is 
focused on your individual school or potentially set of schools if your PTO covers a set of schools. And it is an independent entity, not under the umbrella of the national and state PTAs. But have no fear if you're becoming a PTO. There are still resources out there for you. PTO Today has a great startup kit that walks you through what you need to do. You start by getting an EIN. Then you file your incorporation paperwork, which will likely include a copy of your bylaws, so make sure to create those. Then if you want to get a 5013C, you file the paperwork for that. Note that if you do not raise over $5,000 a year, you do not need to file that tax-exempt 5013C paperwork. That's not at the threshold needed for a tax-exempt status. If you are over that 5K a year, however, so in other words, 5K in donations a year, you do have to file that paperwork, and then you check your state requirements to see if there's additional paperwork for state tax-exempt status. This tax-exempt status refers to having to pay taxes on the monies donated to your organization. It is separate from being exempt from paying state taxes when you go purchase something. Depending on your state, you may or may not also have that ability to avoid paying taxes on goods you purchase, but being a 5013C does not automatically mean you don't pay taxes on goods you purchase. Now, filing the 5013C paperwork can be a challenge in terms of a time constraint. Let's re-record that. Now, Filing the 5013C paperwork can be a big job. The questionnaire itself is roughly 28 pages, and you have to include a number of attachments, so it's not uncommon to be submitting a 100-page document. It's like an audit where the IRS is auditing what your entity is going to do, what the plans are, how you're going to operate, why you're in existence. Now, the good news is this is a one-time filing. It's not difficult but it is time-consuming in gathering all the correct materials. Once you've filed that and checked your state requirements and filed whatever you have there, you're really just down to your, um, you're really just down to your bookkeeping requirements, and then your annual tax filings. So, for your bookkeeping requirements, this is where the treasurer becomes an even more important role. Under the IRS guidelines, you need to keep notes about the purpose of your fundraising and the purpose of your spending. It doesn't have to be excruciatingly detailed. It just needs to be enough to show how your fundraising and your spending align with your mission. It's also best practices to have an auditor do a periodic audit, although that's not required by the IRS but it's just something that from a nonprofit organization best practice is something good to do. Some organizations do it annually. Some do it every second year. I've even seen every five years. But just keep in mind that it is something good to do and maybe something you want to budget for. If you're looking for software that can help you stay organized with this bookkeeping requirement, most people use Excel, QuickBooks, or MoneyMinder. Excel or a Google Sheet is free and if you're using Google Sheets at least has the benefit of being shareable with your entire board. QuickBooks and MoneyMinder 
There's typically a fee involved, but they do have some additional features that can be really helpful, especially come tax time. Finally, you will have to file taxes annually. If you receive less than $50,000 in funds, at least at the time of this recording, you can file a simplified form. It is a postcard style form where you answer a few questions and that takes the place of your return. If, however, you receive over $50,000, you do have to file a longer form. Either way, it's not overly complicated but it is something you have to do annually. Many, many boards handle this work themselves. Some hire a tax professional, but I would say that the norm is for boards to handle this themselves. Again, if you have applied for tax-exempt status at your state level, or, or even if you haven't, scratch that. Again, Check your state requirements for any state-level filings that are necessary. So some of the really common questions that come up around incorporation and tax-exempt status. Can one 501-3C give money to another school organization or another 501-3C? You have the situation where the elementary school and middle school PTAs are putting on an event, for example, and one decides to foot the bill for the food, um, and at the end of the event, it turns out that the other organization needs to contribute some towards that. Can the PTA who needs to contribute towards that send money to another school organization? The short answer is yes, so long as the missions are the same, and there is IRS guidance on this. You can't fundraise for one mission and then send those funds to an organization of a completely different mission because that's not in line with your mission. So long as you are spending the funds in a way that is in line with your mission, you can do that. Another question that comes up, can the school dictate what the funds are spent on or limit fundraising or disband the PTO or PTA in some way? Basically, a lot of questions about school control. And this goes back to the independence of the organization and whether or not there is independence. If you are a program at your school, your school and your school district can absolutely do all of those things. They can dictate what the funds are spent on. They can disband the organization. If, however, you are a separately incorporated entity, the school cannot do that. They can limit your use of school grounds for events. Uh, they can refuse to take PTO or PTA funding for certain things, but they cannot entirely change what you are doing as an organization. Most PTOs or PTAs have some voting members that are school administrators. For example, the principal may be an automatic member of your board. That person's vote is equal to everybody else's, and so they do have influence through their voting rights on the decisions of the board, but that influence is equal to any other board member, and so they aren't able to completely swing the direction uh, that your organization is going. Now, you do want a good working relationship with your school, so this can be a tense area if uh, there are differing views on how to handle funds, how to handle events, uh, but Keep in mind that your PTO or PTA, if incorporated, is a separate and distinct entity from the school that has its own mission statement and needs to stay true to that mission statement. 
And then what about if you're switching from a PTO, uh, excuse me, from a PTA to a PTO? Does that have an impact? Can you just transfer your existing filings and incorporation to your new PTO entity? The answer is no, you have to start over. Since the 5013C was under the umbrella of the state PTA and you will no longer be under that umbrella, you do have to start again in the incorporation process. It's also quite likely that your bylaws will change and even your mission statement. And so you will have to refile that incorporation, likely get a new EIN and then file your 5013C status as well as any associated state status as well. So if I were to sum up the advice and ideas on incorporation and 5013C status, I would say it's worth creating a separate entity and getting the tax-exempt status as it gives you more freedom on your mission as well as improves your ability to fundraise. Second, there is a lift up front to do this, so be prepared. And ongoing, make sure you have a treasurer or someone accountable for keeping notes on the purpose of the fundraising, and the purpose of any funds spent. Third, don't forget to file an annual return. If your organization brought in less than $50,000, you may be eligible for a lighter filing burden, but you still do have to file annually. You may also have to file at the state level, so double check that. Fourth, leverage the available resources out there through state and national PTA PTO Today, or any tax advisors you may have available to you. There's also great advice on several Facebook groups. If you're not a member, search for PTA or PTO leader groups and join because people are going through this every year, all the time, have great questions, and there are great answers. So leverage the experts around you. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school to subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on this show, we share additional resources on our company blog at www.k12clothing.com. We'll see you next week in the Multipurpose Room.